If you have a Bible, go ahead and go to 1 Kings chapter number 18. 1 Kings chapter number 18. And we are continuing in our series, One of Us. How many of you have enjoyed this series so far the last couple weeks? Anybody enjoy this series, learning something, studying the life of Elijah? And uh, last week we talked about a life on the fence. And a life on the fence really is no life at all because that's not the life that God designed for us to live. And uh, He designed for us to live a life that's fully committed 100% to Him, going all in. And the last week Elijah uh, stood up on Mount Carmel and he said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If God is God, then follow Him. If Baal is God, then follow Him. And he said, Stop sitting on the fence. And uh, this morning we're going to talk about living between the promise and the payoff. And that's the title of my message this morning, Living Between the Promise and the Payoff. And I believe that there's a word of encouragement for us this morning found in 1 Kings chapter 18. The Bible says this. We'll start reading in verse number 41. And Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he cast himself down upon the earth, and he put his face between his knees. And he said to this, his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he said, and he went up and he looked and he said, there is nothing. Everybody say nothing. He said, there's nothing. And he said, go again seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, behold, there ariseth a little cloud. Everybody say a little cloud. Just a little cloud of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, go up, say unto Ahab, prepare thy chariot and get thee down that the rain stop thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. Everybody say a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he girded up his loins, and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Let's have a word of prayer this morning. Father, thank you for your word this morning. God, I pray that we could... Uh, really invest our time the next few minutes that we have together lord i pray that we can uh, glean what you'd have us to glean this morning i pray that we can be encouraged i pray that we can be challenged and edified god i pray that we would not leave this space the same as we came in lord i pray that you would fill me with your spirit lord to give me the words to say that would be beneficial and helpful to us in jesus name and everybody said Amen. my daughter lived recently uh, learned how to make a pinky promise. She's three years old. How many of you are familiar with a pinky promise? Can I see your hand? A pinky promise, of course, is the highest form of an oath that a three-year-old can make. And uh, since she discovered that she can make a pinky promise, no matter what we're talking about now, it's, hey, pinky promise. You know, like, let, let's promise about that. And she likes to make promises, but she's kind of struggling with the timing of a promise. Uh, because she thinks that as soon as a promise is made, that promise will then come to fruition immediately. And uh, the other night I was, I was putting her to bed and I said, I said, hey, Liv, tomorrow it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to get you a big bowl of ice cream. And uh, she loves ice cream, so I was trying to get her excited to go to bed. But hey, go to bed and you'll get ice cream tomorrow. And, and, uh, and I said, tomorrow I'm going to get you ice cream. And she said, 
right now? And I said, no, Liv, I don't know if you just heard me, but I said, tomorrow I'm going to get you some ice cream. And then she said, in five minutes? And I said, no, tomorrow. And then I said, when the sun comes up, uh, that's when I'm going to get you some ice cream. Well, I shouldn't have said that. That was a mistake because guess who was ready at 6 a.m. to get ice cream in our room? Katie, of course, was the one that was ready to get, no, Liv, Liv was the one. She was ready. She wanted to get uh, ice cream. And a lot of times in life, there are promises that we have to claim, but we can be frustrated because there's often this gap in this space between the promise and the payoff. A lot of times we, we have promises that we can claim. In fact, uh, someone once did a study. In fact, several uh, people have done this, and they've tried to figure out how many promises there are in Scripture. And there are some 7,000 promises in Scripture. And that can be exciting, and that can be great, because those are promises for us to claim. But a lot of times there's this promise, but then we can get frustrated because we haven't yet experienced the payoff. That promise has not yet come to fruition. And so what do we do when those times come, what do we do when we're in that gap, when we're living in between the promise and the payoff? Because if we're not careful, that can be a very frustrating space to live. Maybe you have decided to give, and God says, I'm going to honor that giving. And you started to give, but you haven't really experienced any changes yet, and now your budget's just a little bit tighter. God promises that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And maybe you've been diligently seeking God and you've been, you've been trying to get on the right track spiritually. And, and ever since you've been doing that, there hasn't really been any rewards. You haven't experienced the payoff yet. And sometimes this can be a very frustrating space to live in. The Bible talks about it in the book of Hebrews, verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 36. For ye have need of patience. Yes, we do. How many of you have need of patience this morning? Anybody? We have need of patience that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. So after you've done the will of God, you need some patience because after you've done that, then you'll receive the promise. And so there's this gap that we often live in where we know we're on the right track. We know there's a promise that we can claim, but we haven't yet experienced the payoff yet. And we're kind of frustrated. When's that going to happen? God promises that he's going to bless and God promises that he's going to provide, but I'm not seeing any blessings and I'm not seeing any provision. And in 1 Kings chapter 18, we uh, have this great promise that Elijah receives. In fact, in verse number one, he receives the promise that uh, rain is going to fall. Notice what it says in, in chapter 18, verse number one. Elijah receives this promise, and it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. That was the promise. I'm going to send some rain. And uh, of course, the nation of Israel was experiencing a three and a half year drought because of their idolatry, because of their sin. And so uh, Elijah goes, and last week we saw he has this major confrontation with Ahab, the evil, the wicked king Ahab. And uh, he says, how long are you going to halt between two opinions? And he says, if God is God, then follow him. And if you remember last week, the fire fell from heaven. It's an unbelievable story of God's power and demonstration of God's greatness. And, and then the people get right with God, and there's revival, and there's this great things that are happening and the natural next thing to happen in the progression of the narrative is that there should be some rainfall right God promised that rain would come he he said the rain was going to stop because of sin well now they've gotten right with God and now they've sacrificed and they poured the water out on the altar and they, they they've gotten right with God and they're looking up in the in the sky and there are no clouds to be seen the rain had not yet fallen and so here's Elijah, he's this great man of God, he's this great le leader, and he has this promise of rain. He did everything that he was supposed to do. He was praying, he, he, he was, he, he was uh, uh, leading the people, he was confronting sin, he was being patient, he was doing exactly what God had called him to do, and God said, I'm going to send rain, and the people got right with God, and now Elijah is like, all right, where's the rain? And nothing. 
And so he's living between the promise and the payoff. Have you ever been there? Where you knew there was a promise to claim, but just not seeing it, wondering when that is going to come to fruition. And this morning, for a few minutes, I want to give you a few principles if you're living between the promise and the payoff, or when you come into a season of life where you're in that gap, where you haven't yet experienced the blessings or the provision that, that you know or that you need, I want to give you a few principles that I believe can be an encouragement to you this morning. And so if you're taking notes, well, we can write down a couple thoughts. Number one, we've got to understand that the way up is down. The way up is down. The Bible says this in verse number 41. I want to encourage you. We're only, only going to be in verses 41 through 46 this morning, but keep your Bibles open. Keep them ready. Verse number 41 says this, And Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up and drink. Eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. Now, we're going to get to the second half of that verse in just a moment, but uh, uh, Elijah says uh, after, this, after the fire fell, and Elijah goes and he slays 450 false prophets, and Ahab and Elijah are just like witnessing this scene, and, and uh, Elijah says, all right, uh, go ahead and get up and eat and drink. Notice verse 42. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he cast himself down upon the earth, and he put his face between his knees. And so we've just seen an incredible scene in Scripture where the fire falls and Elijah is standing on top of Carmel in this great uh, scene of magnitude. And then uh, Elijah looks at Ahab, the 19th consecutive evil king of Israel, and he says, hey, um, go ahead and get something to eat and drink. Because Elijah knew that his priorities were primarily on the physical, while Elijah's priorities were on the spiritual. And he goes and he prays. He, he puts his face between his knees and he prays. And it's, you know you have a great prayer life when you literally just prayed fire from heaven and the next thing you think is, I got to go pray some more, right? Uh, that, that's exactly what Elijah did. He says, I need to go pray some more. And the Bible tells us that he gets in a very interesting position. He gets down on his knees and he puts his face between his knees. I do not think that I am flexible enough to do that this morning, so I will not demonstrate. But you get the idea. Katie said, thank you. I don't know how to interpret that. Elijah gets down and he puts his face between his knees. In oriental uh, cultures and customs, this would have been uh, considered a position of great prostration. It was considered the, the most humble position a person could take. And I find it interesting that Elijah just experienced probably the greatest victory of his life, followed by the greatest act of humility he could portray. See, we need to understand this morning that spiritually the way up is down. If you want to succeed, if you want to go far in life, if you want to get to the top, then start at the bottom. Get down. Elijah said, you know what, I just had this great victory, but I'm going to humble myself before the Lord because he understood something. And that is after great victories, that is when we are often most vulnerable in life. Whenever we have a season of success or a season of a great victory, that is when the devil wants to attack. If you follow sports, sometimes you'll notice that a great sports team will, will uh, have consecutive great wins, and then they'll play a team that they should be easily. But a lot of times that team that's not very good, that they should be easily, that weak team will beat the better team, because that team comes in a little bit confident and they're ready and they kind of just let their guard down a little bit and that, that weaker team can often win. And that's because after great victories, we are often most vulnerable for defeat. And Elijah understood that and he says, you know what, I'm not going to let pride infiltrate my heart and trip me up. I'm going I'm to just stay low and I'm going to stay humble before the Lord. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. If you think you're on the right track, if you think I'm good, nobody can knock me down, that's when you need to be extra careful because you need to take heed or you're going to fall. 1 Peter 5 verse 6 says, uh, Humble yourselves therefore into the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Humble yourselves in order that you, he may exalt you in due time. See, the way up is down. Everybody say the way up is down. 
the way up is down. Jesus understood this in John chapter 13, verse 14 through 15. He said, if, if I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. See, Jesus gave the ultimate example of humility. Washing someone's feet was considered the lowest position of a servant. And Jesus washed the feet of the disciples and he says, hey, follow in my example. Philippians chapter 2 says this, But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus gave us the ultimate example of humility. This morning, let me ask you this question. Are you willing to do the job that nobody else wants to do? Jesus said, I'll wash the feet. I'll humble myself. I'll become like a servant. And Elijah understood this. He understood that he needed to humble himself. See, whenever we're in that position where that, that gap, we're in between the promise and the payoff, a lot of times we can get frustrated because we can start to think, hey, I've done a lot. I've sacrificed a lot. I've given, I've showed up early and set up, and, and uh, I, I've been faithful, I've been doing a lot of good, I've been obedient, I, I, I've done this, and before you know it, it's I, 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 and it becomes all about me. And so be very careful if you're waiting for the payoff, if you're waiting for the provision, if you're waiting for the promotion, if you're waiting for God's blessing, be very careful that you don't start to elevate yourself in your own thinking, to start to think that we all of a sudden deserve something because of what we've done, because we don't deserve it. That's why we're so thankful for God's grace. And so Elijah understood that. I'm not going I'm, I'm to try to uh, kind of glow in this wind. I'm not going to let pride infiltrate my heart. I'm going to start by getting low, by humbling myself before the Lord. William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army. And uh, there was a great Christian leader and uh, preacher that uh, kind of helped him get the Salvation Army off the ground and kind of helped, helped start up. Uh, this organization, and uh, his name was Samuel Brangle, and uh, Samuel Brangle was a great preacher, he was a great orator, and, and uh, he would uh, often speak at different events, and, and uh, one time he was coming into an event, and uh, the people announced him, they gave him this introduction, and they said, it's the great Samuel Brangle, and uh, he later wrote about that in his journal, and he said this, if I appear great in their eyes, the Lord is most graciously helping me to see how absolutely nothing I am without him, and helping me to keep little in my own eyes. He does use me, but I am so concerned that he uses me, and that it is not of me the work is done. The axe cannot boast of the trees it has cut down. It could do nothing but for the woodsman. He made it, he sharpened it, and he used it. The moment he throws it aside, it becomes only old iron. Oh, that I may never lose sight of this. He understood that the way up is down. The Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. And, and, and so Elijah understood this, and this first principle and this first thought, Elijah said, I just had this great victory, but what does he do? He goes and he gets in the most humble position he could possibly put himself in, and he prays before the Lord. Notice the second principle this morning, if you're taking notes. The second principle is this, faith can sense what our flesh can't see. Faith can sense what our flesh cannot see. And I see two things about uh, this statement in the following verses in verse 41. I see, first of all, Elijah's perception. In verse number 41, it says this, And Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound. Everybody say, say a sound. sound. There's a sound of abundance of rain. Now that's an interesting thing to say because we wouldn't typically say that, uh, uh, that, that statement. We wouldn't say it sounds like rain. We would typically say it looks like rain, right? 
Uh, and Elijah was not necessarily talking about hearing thunder or seeing lightning. He wasn't talking about that. It was a spiritual perception that he had. That he had. There's a sound of abundance of rain. In fact, in the Hebrew, the word sound is often translated voice. He was tuned in to the voice of God. His faith could sense something that his flesh could not see. He perceived what he could not see. He said, there, there is a sound of abundance of rain. Arthur Pink said this, Elijah hears that which shall be. If the divine word dwell in us more richly and faith was exercised more upon it, we would hear that which is inaudible to the dull comprehension of the carnal mind. See, one thing that I'm learning is that our faith has much better hearing than our flesh. Our flesh oftentimes wants to see something and look for the tangible evidence when our faith says, I can't see it, but I can sense it. I don't know about you this morning, but I don't know every detail about how God's going to work in this church plant. I, don't, I, don't, I can't see how everything's going to play out perfectly, but I can sense that God is doing something special here. I, I can't see it all. I can't see how it's all going to play out. I can't exactly see where we're going to be in five years, but I can sense that God is up to something special and that God wants to do something great here in this church and in this community. He wants to raise up an army of soldiers that'll do a great work for him. I can't see it, but I can sense it. He could perceive that there was a sound of abundance of rain. In the Hebrew, the word rain means a, a heavy downpour. And so not only could he hear and he could sense this sound of abundance of rain, but it was a heavy downpour. See, he had a lot of faith. I believe that not just a little bit of rain is coming, a lot of rain is about to come. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Romans 10, 17, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so I see uh, his perception, but also I see his, his persistence here, his persistence. If you're still with me, say amen. amen. Verse number 43, and he said to his servant, go, excuse me, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and he looked and he said, there is nothing. And he said, go again seven times. Now, this is where I believe that Elijah could have gotten a little bit frustrated. Because up until this point, he had done everything right. Right? I mean, think about it. He, he, he prayed fire from heaven. He brought revival to the nation of Israel. And then he doesn't gloat in it. He doesn't take pride in it. He goes and he prays again before God. He humbles himself. He's doing everything right. And he says, God promised me rain back in verse number one. He said, God, God promised some rain. I believe that. it's gonna, I, I can sense it. He was even operating by faith. He was doing everything right. And then he said to his servant, hey, go and look. Nothing. And that's when faith can be most frustrating. When there is a season of your life where you are doing everything uh, in your ability, you're following all the right steps, you're obeying scripture, you're walking uh, according to the Holy Spirit, and you go to see it and you just can't find it. There's nothing. Anytime now, and you couldn't see it. See, we like answers quickly. Uh, we struggle with patience sometimes. The Bible says this in Psalms chapter 102, verse number two, hide not thy face from me in the day when I'm in trouble. Incline thine ear unto me, in the day when I call, answer me speedily. Okay, I can relate to the psalmist there. You know, like, answer me speedily, okay? How many of you get frustrated if you call someone and it takes, you know, seven, uh, eight rings before they answer? How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? I like it when I call somebody and they, it doesn't even ring. They just answer. I'm like, all right, that's efficiency, okay? Answer me speedily. That's how we want God to work and that's how we want God to operate. As soon as we step out by faith that we can see it, we see the answer, we see how it's going to play out. But a lot of times faith is not like that. Faith is silent. 
we go to look for God's blessings after we've fall, taken all the right steps and we don't see a thing. There's not a cloud in the sky. So what does Elijah do? He tells his servant, go again. He goes again, he comes back, nothing. Okay, go again. Comes back, nothing. He had the persistency to keep on going and to keep on believing and to keep on checking even when he couldn't see it. He said, just keep on staying faithful. Just keep on going. Keep on checking. Let, let, let's go ahead and keep on trying. See, a lot of times we want uh, the blessing. We want the provision. We want the promotion, but we don't like the persistency that's required to see it. Yeah. We want the promotion, yeah. but what about the persistency? 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 14 says this, and he went down and he dipped, him dipped himself seven times. Everybody say seven times. Uh, this was Naaman, and he had leprosy, and he's dipping in the Jordan River seven times. Did you know that he did not experience anything on the fourth time? He didn't feel any different on the fifth time? On the sixth time, he might have said, this is ridiculous, but on the seventh time, he was healed. See, it took a little bit of persistency to see the healing. Joshua chapter 6, verse 16, and it came to pass at the seventh time. Everybody say the seventh time. When the priests blew with the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. They were walking around those walls of Jericho, and they would have thought this is the weirdest, dumbest plan that Joshua has ever come up with. I mean, we have the greatest military mind uh, available to us right now. We're coming in the planning meeting, and Joshua says, I got it. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk around the wall. Come again. <laughs> all right, Elijah. That, all right, Joshua. That, that's a good plan, but let's go ahead and put that on the back burner. and Let's try to come up with something a little bit better. But it took persistency the seventh time. I read an interesting story about uh, a man named R.U. Harvey, and, uh, and uh, he was a part of the California gold rush. And he went back, uh, he went to California, and he purchased all this mining equipment, and he was mining for gold, and he was very successful, made a lot of money, discovered a lot of gold. And, and uh, him and his team were, were, were digging and digging, and, and uh, they kind of hit a dry spot, and they weren't uh, finding any more new gold. And so they went a little bit more, they went a little bit more, and they weren't seeing anything. And so he packed up all his equipment, and, and he moved out of California. And he ended up selling all of his mining equipment to a garbage man that was living in California for dirt cheap. He just he basically gave him all the equipment. Well, that garbage man now had all this mining equipment, and so uh, he went to a mining engineer, a gold engineer, and he said, hey, um, um, can you help me with this? And they went to the site, and they determined, and they discovered that just three feet from where R.U. Harvey stopped digging, they found the longest run of gold in that mine. He went on to make millions of dollars. Well, are you Harvey, he heard about this story and he, and he heard about what happened and he actually went on to be an incredibly successful businessman. He went on to sell insurance and he made millions of dollars. In fact, he made uh, uh, much more money than he would have if he would have stayed in California. And people asked him all the time, what's the key to your success? And how have you become so successful and how have you made so much money? He said, every time that I felt like quitting, I just reminded myself, I just might be three feet from gold. Every time I felt like, hey, it was too much and I just need to give up now, he said, I might be just three feet from gold. I want to encourage you this morning. Some of you are maybe thinking about giving up. You're asking yourself, is it worth it? Should I keep on going? Should I keep on being faithful? I don't see it. It's not working. I just want to tell you, you just might be three feet from gold. You just might be close to God's provision. You just might be close to God's blessing. So don't give up. Let us not grow weary in well-doing for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. I want to encourage you to keep on being faithful. Keep your eyes on Jesus and just keep on going he had to go eight times before he saw something notice what the bible says here in verse 44 and it came to pass at the seventh time behold there ariseth 
a little cloud. Notice number three this morning, our third principle. God often works through what seems insignificant. God often works through what seems insignificant. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, Behold, there ariseth a little cloud. The servant comes back. By the way, just an interesting piece of information. A lot of uh, commentators and theologians say that Elijah's servant was the son of the widow who he raised back to life. We don't know if that's true, but I like to think so because it's interesting. He goes and he looks. He comes back to Elijah. He says, Elijah, I got news. I see something. There's a little tiny cloud. And as if Elijah did not know what little meant, the servant goes on. He says, it's like a man's hand. It's like so small. Like it's just, just this little thing. Elijah's like, okay, I get it. It's small. I get it. Okay, thank you. And the servant's like, yeah, it's like a miniature little cloud. And Elijah's like, all right, enough. I get it. It's small. You know, God loves to work through what seems insignificant. He comes back. He says, I just see a little cloud. Elijah could have been like, Thanks a lot, God. We're supposed to come out of, a, out of a drought, and there's been no rain for three and a half years, and, and uh, we're supposed to, you know, recover from this, and you're going to send just a little tiny cloud. What are we supposed to do with this? This isn't going to bring a great storm. It's a little cloud. He could have gotten frustrated. He could have said, this is just a little cloud, but there's two things here. I see, first of all, potential. See, while the servant saw the problem, Elijah saw the potential. He says, I think that God can use this. I think that God can do something through this little cloud. Zechariah chapter 4, verse number 10 says, For who hath despised the day of small things? See, Elijah could have been very frustrated and could have thought, this isn't even going to make a difference. This isn't even going to matter. This is just so insignificant. It's just a small cloud. And two of the greatest lies the devil will get you to believe is, number one, that you don't matter. And number two, that what you do doesn't matter. The devil's going to jump on your back and say, hey, you don't really matter. You're not really going to make a difference. And then he's going to say, hey, what you're doing, that doesn't really matter. That's not really going to make a difference. It's too insignificant. It's too small. It can't really accomplish a great work. But God loves to work through what seems insignificant. I wonder if Paul got discouraged in the New Testament when he was making tents. I wonder if he thought, I'm just wasting my time. This is, this is ridiculous. I wonder if Mary got frustrated when she was a stay-at-home mom with Jesus. I could have been doing more, but I'm just here at home. See, the devil wants to jump on your back and say, hey, what you're doing doesn't matter. What you're doing is insignificant. It's not going to make a difference, and he wants you to give up. And a lot of people quit on their assignment because they're not, they don't believe that there is significance in their assignment. And so they give up too soon. Be very careful not to judge your assignment by your own estimation of size and significance. The Bible says this in Luke chapter 16, verse number 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Some of the greatest Christian uh, leaders that I know, some of the greatest uh, Christians on this earth, they're working in the nursery. Some of the greatest men of God that I've ever met in my entire life, they were content to take out the garbage and they were content to clean the bathrooms because no job is too insignificant in God's eyes. And so they see a little, a little cloud, but there was potential. So there was potential, but there was also preparation. Notice what it says in verse number 44. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, Behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea, like a man's hand. And he said, Go up, say unto Ahab, Prepare thy chariot, and get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. And I love that. He says, 
he says, all right, we see a little bit of this, this little cloud. What are we going to do in response to that? And he says, well, you better go tell Ahab that he needs to get off Mount Carmel. He needs to get in his chariot. And he needs to head home. He needs to start preparing because rain is about to come, and he doesn't want to get stuck on top of Carmel, so he needs to get going. See, he not only had, had faith and not only saw the potential, but then his faith was spurred to action. He said, we need to get prepared. We need to do something about this. We need to, we need to uh, run down this mountain so we don't uh, get stuck because of the rain. See, faith will always motivate to action. Faith will always have a response. Faith without works is dead. And so he says, all right, let's get prepared. Let, let, let's get down the mountain. I was reading an interesting story about uh, in 2010 when there was the uh, uh, Chile mining accident where 33 men were stuck uh, under the thousands of feet on the surface of the earth and they were there for 69 days. Well, uh, there was an interesting man and an interesting story that took place while they were uh, down uh, below the surface. His name was Edison uh, Pina. And uh, Edison was a marathon runner, and he believed, he full-heartedly believed that when they were going to get rescued, and when they got rescued, he wanted to run in a marathon to represent the miners uh, that were trapped. And so every day, 69 days that they were trapped under the surface uh, of the earth, every day that they were trapped, he would run six to seven miles twice in his steel-toe electrician boots. He was just running in the dark, back and forth, just running, running, running. Uh, Edison just kept on doing it, running, running, running. Well, they finally did. Uh, as you know, they made a movie about it. They, they, they were, you know, they got rescued. And, and as they got rescued, um, the New York uh, Marathon heard about Edison and his story. And they said, hey, we want you to come and uh, kind of observe the race. And he said, I want to observe the race. Can I come and participate? And so they let him. And he went and he ran in the race. And he finished the marathon in five hours and 40 minutes in front of millions of spectators. And I just love that he had the faith to believe, hey, I'm going to get rescued. So I'm going to prepare for it. See, he understood something. Preparation begins long before opportunity arrives. He said, I believe it. I have some faith, but now I need to spur that faith in motion. I need to put it in motion. I need to activate that faith. I need to do something about it. A lot of times we talk about having big faith and we talk about dreaming big things for God, but then we don't act like it. A lot of times we say, yeah, I believe that God can do something special, but then our lives look the same. If you really believe that God is all powerful and you really believe that God is all sovereign and you really believe that God can do anything and immeasurably more than we can ask or think, then why don't we start taking more steps of faith? See, we trust God for salvation, but we don't trust God in the day-to-day, in the small things. I have faith for heaven, but I don't have faith for my circumstance. So, so, so Elijah has this faith. He, he says, hey, I believe that there's potential in that little cloud. We need to get ready. And he starts setting his faith in motion. 1 John 3, 18 says this, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. James 2, 26, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. I want to give one more principle this morning, and we'll be done. Number four, if you're taking notes. Your best life is found running in the rain. Your best life is found running in the rain. Notice how this story concludes in verse number 45. If you're still with me, say amen. Amen. Verse 45, and it came to pass. In the meanwhile, meanwhile, that the heaven was black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain, finally the payoff. And Ahab rode, and he went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins, and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. I love this story. You got to picture the scene. Ahab, 
hears this message, rain's coming, rain's starting to fall, it's starting to drip on the dry, dry dust that's on the ground, and, and mud is starting to form a little bit, and, and uh, Ahab, he gets in his chariot, and uh, he's racing down the mountain, and the Bible says that Elijah starts running. He like turned into this power runner, this, this sprinter, and he just starts running, and he runs past the chariot. He runs past Ahab, and I can just imagine Ahab's like riding his chariot. He's going along. He's kind of going slow because his, his wheels are getting stuck in the mud there, and, and uh, he's kind of going, then he sees Elijah sprint past him. He looks out the window, and he's just like, man, that guy is weird. <laughs> like, he's just sprinting like, what in the world? I just love picturing the scene because, you know, Ahab could have given Elijah a ride. He probably should have, right? It was the least he could do. Elijah just prayed rain from heaven. He could have given him a ride. That would have been convenient. That would have been a lot more easy. But you know, sometimes God wants us to run instead of taking a free ride. He could have gotten a ride. A lot of times that's how we want God's blessing and God's provision to work. We want it just to land in our lap and we can just ride and glide and everything's gonna be so easy. But sometimes when the blessing comes, we're gonna have to run for it. We're going to have to keep on going. We're going to have to get our sprinter shoes on. We're going to have to start running. But the truth is, is your best life is found running in the rain. And I love this because here's Ahab. His tires, his wheels are getting stuck in the mud. And a lot of times that's how we operate when we're not operating in the power of God. We're just stuck in the mud of monotony and mediocrity. And we're slowing down. But your best life is found running in the rain. Saying, God, I believe what you say is true, and I'm going to run for it. See, the Bible says in verse 46 that the hand of the Lord was on upon Elijah. Anytime the hand of the Lord is mentioned in Scripture, it's always talking about power. See, God's hand of power was on Elijah. And so he was able to run that 20 miles from Carmel to Jezreel in the power of God. How could anybody do this? How could a man outrun a chariot? Well, he was outrunning chariots. He was shocking Ahab. He was doing it all in the power of God because your best life is found running in the rain. When you say, God, I want to experience your provision. I'm going to stay faithful, and I'm going to run towards the calling that you have for me. It's not always going to be easy. We're not always going to have a free ride, but it's worth a run. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14 says this, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing that I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Maybe this morning you're stuck in the mud of mediocrity and monotony, and I want to encourage you that you can start running and living the best life possible found in living for Jesus. Jesus said, I am come that not just so you can have a normal life, but that you can have life more abundantly. The best life possible is found living for Jesus. Verse 46 says, And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins. What does that mean? Elijah was wearing what was customary during that time. He was wearing a long robe and uh, they would have this belt, this leather belt, and what they would do when they needed to run was they, they would kind of tuck that robe up and they would tie it around their belt so he could high step it all the way to Jezreel. He didn't want his robe to trip him up, to, to distract him at all. You know, God has given us everything we need to live a life of godliness, but a lot of times we're tripped up and we're distracted by small things. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness. This morning, let's run towards the prize of the high calling. Let's, let's, let's ask God, what do you want me to do? And then run for it, go for it. But let's not get tripped up and distracted by all the small things in the world that so often fight for our attention. 
Let's gird our loins with truth and let's just keep on going. Keep our eyes on Jesus. There are two types of farmers. There are irrigation farmers. There are dry land farmers. My family is from Colorado and they are dry land farmers which means that there is absolutely no irrigation. They have thousands of acres of property and, and they are 100% dependent on rain for their crops to come. Absolutely zero irrigation. But because of that, they've learned how to operate and they've learned how to trust God even in times of difficulty because sometimes they needed the rain for their livelihood and the rain was not coming. I believe spiritually that we need to have a dry land farming mindset where we're not gonna trust in our own resources, we're not gonna trust on what we can do and what we can provide, but we're gonna say, God, I'm putting all that aside and I'm gonna keep my eyes on you and I'm trusting 100% in what you and you alone can provide. So what do we do when we're living between the promise and the payoff? We're in that zone, we're in that gap. Just keep on being faithful, keep on being persistent. Remember that the way up is down and listen in because our faith has better hearing than our flesh. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. The ultimate promise that we have this morning, the ultimate promise that we could talk about is a home in heaven. The ultimate payoff is to see Jesus face to face. We have this promise of heaven the Bible talks about it in Revelation chapter 21, verse number four, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. What a great promise of heaven. We have this promise of heaven, but we have a job to do while we're still here on earth. There might be some of you this morning that have yet to experience the life-giving, life-changing message of Jesus. You've yet to experience a relationship with Jesus. There is that promise, but maybe you haven't claimed it. Today, I believe, could be the day of salvation for you. The Bible says it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. It's by His mercy that He saved us. For by grace are you saved through faith. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. See, it's not about being a good person. It's not about coming to church every week. It's not about reading your Bible. It's not about saying all the right words and it's not about serving. It's not about doing these things. It's about having a relationship with Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for your sins and for my sins so that we could have a home in heaven. And I love what the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. For whosoever, that's anybody, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's a promise. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How many can say this morning, Matt? I'm so thankful that I know that if I were to die today that I'd have a home in heaven. I'm thankful that I've trusted Christ as my Savior and I've claimed that promise. If that's you, can I see your hand? I've claimed that promise. That's awesome. You can put your hands down. Nobody looking around just so I can know how to pray for us this morning. How do you say, Matt, I've never claimed that promise. I don't know. If I were to die today, I'm not sure if I'd go to heaven or hell. I'm just not 100% sure. Would you pray for me? I'm not going to point anybody out, nothing like that. I just want to know how to pray. How do you say, Matt, would you pray for me? I don't know about my eternal destination. I'm just not sure about that. Can you raise your hand up if that's you, just so I can pray? Thank you. Thank you. I love what the Bible says in 1 John 5, 13. These things are written that ye may know that you have eternal life. The reason we have the word of God this morning is that we have, we have a more sure word of prophecy 
these things are written that we can know that we have a relationship with Jesus. And this morning, if you don't know that, I'd love to take time after the service and show you. We have men and ladies that would love to open up God's word and show you how you can know. How many could say this morning, Matt, if I'm being honest, I'm living between the promise and the payoff. Maybe you're going through a gap. You're going through a season where you're waiting for some sort of blessing or provision or you're waiting for a door to open up and you just don't see how it's going to work. How many could say, Matt, would you, would you pray for me? I'm in that gap this morning. If that's you, can I see your hand? I'm in that space all over the room. Thank you. How many can say, Pastor Matt, this morning I was encouraged, my heart was challenged to have the faith to sense what my flesh can't see. How many can say, I was encouraged this morning to increase my faith and to keep an ear out for what God is going to do. If you were encouraged in that regard this morning, can I see your hands? To step out by faith. It's awesome you can put your hands down.